Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome back to episode 25 of the Swider Show. Really excited this week. A lot has happened since the last time we've been on here. March Madness, a little Laker talk, and uh, we're, we're going to be w- welcome with a good friend of mine, Wenyan Gabriel, for, uh, a New Englander as well. So excited for this episode, Patty. Yeah, it'll be a big one. Like you said, giant week in basketball. Um, the other thing you left out, South Bay Lakers clinching the playoffs big time. We did. Congrats to the fellas. A lot, a lot of the um, you know, Swider Show friends on the roster, as everyone knows. So, um, yeah, big week for them. Like you said, I feel like it's it's been, what, 10 days since we're recording? We're recording this Thursday, May 20, March 23rd. We should also probably mention apologies for the, for the delay to the listeners. I know they were saddened on their drive to work this morning on Thursday morning without the episode, but it'll be a nice leadoff. It'll be a nice kickoff to your weekend. We had a hectic week of trying to schedule people, so yeah. uh, apologies for that. When you're dealing with NBA players, their, their schedules get kind of hectic, so um, we're, we're going to get one out this week. We're going to get out get one out next week on time, hopefully, and uh, we'll just go from there, Patty. Yeah, this won't this won't like you know break break up the schedule too much here. This has happened before. On the show, I think the only other time we did Friday was was with Austin Reeves, which is very relevant. He's in the news now because he's I don't know maybe the best player in the NBA. Now we got <laughs> Wenyan on giant giant guest. So um, yeah, it's not like we're you know just delaying it because we're being lazy or anything. Swider's trying to book these guys, and it's paying off because I mean Wenyan's a very important a vital piece on the Lakers as they make this this playoff push. So not for sure, man. I mean. Talk about Austin. What what a what a story, huh? Just a, a two way guy gets converted into a contract. Ha, has a good year last year, and then this year he's he's obviously just taking another step. Patty, I was I was just looking around on my on, on Sports Reference like like I usually do, and mm-hmm. best website that, in the world. Yeah, unbelievable website. You put it in, in our Google Docs every single week of the, of the guy's stats and everything mm-hmm. like that. Of course, but I, I'm just thinking to myself like I haven't really checked Austin's stats in a while. Let me just let me just go and check. And I see he's averaging 12 points a game. I'm like, I, I was thinking he was averaging like seven, eight, right? You know what I mean? Nine maybe. And this in these past three weeks, he's been on a complete tear. The other thing is the efficiency numbers are just off the charts. He's shooting like 52 percent of the field, 39 from three, 88 from the line. I think I just did that off of memory. I'm yeah, such a loser. I think I just had that off of memory, but that's what, that's <laughs> what I do for our guests. But um, yeah, I mean. He's just like he's so confident too. The way he's playing right now, and it's the bigger the games get, it seems like the more he's delivering. He's getting up for them. Patty, you being a small white guard, what's the most impart? What's the most impressive part of his game to you? Um, I don't know how to say this, but I don't. I don't think he really represents many white guards, if that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's a very athletic guy. 
Um, you know, he has a very quick first step. But what's hot in the streets right now, what's getting people kind of riled up and why people are starting to starting to flip, you know, also was that lovable guy, great story, like you said. Now when, the, when he's, like, killing these teams, you could see a little bit more hate coming out on social media, on Twitter, Swider. A lot of people getting real pissed off about his foul calls. Like last night, hey. shoots 13 free throws. Two nights ago, or whatever, three or four nights ago, you guys play Orlando. He has 35. He shoots 18 free throws at the line. He is like, yeah. he's like a 36 year old veteran at like foul drawing at this point. It's unbelievable. Yeah, no, he's great. He's great. I mean, it might just be Swider Show guests, but him and Scotty are two of the best I've ever seen yep. at being able to being able to draw fouls. Like they get into the lane, they they know if, if they get stuck in a certain spot or if Austin gets those guys on his back, like he's like, all right, I'm just gonna mm-hmm. I'm just gonna go backwards and, and get a foul. And that that's like Coach Bayham used to say this all the time. I, we've talked about this before on the podcast, but he was like, what made Chris Mullen so good was in, in the Big East that he would have 26 points but only take 10 shots and, and shoot 14 or, or 16 free throws. Go 6 for 10 from the field, shoot 14 or 16 free throws, and end up with 26, and then you you lose the game. Your best, fly, your best player is fouled out. So it's like they, they're able to impact the game so much more being able to, to draw those fouls on. And they honestly keep the best players off them or maybe the best defenders off them because they can't Because you're fouling fouls. them out, yeah. Why do you think it is that uh, you see that more in, in the NBA than college? I feel like we talk about this every week, kind of comparing the two, but there's not many double-digit free-throw games in the college level. Yeah, well, I think that the players are just smarter. Mm-hmm. I, I, honestly, I honestly think, like, when you go throughout a game and you have, I mean, Chris Paul is probably the best that there, there ever is. Like, there, there, <laughs> we were doing our pregame scout yesterday for the Suns. Big, big win by the Lakers last night against the Suns. But one of the things in the scouting report was, like, if he gets into the bonus, watch out for the Chris Paul sweep through. Because he knows. Because he knows. And, and LeBron goes, we should all know this by now, guys. He's played <laughs> yeah. three times. Like, like this guy is, like, we should all know this. And we have three guys on our team who, who do the same thing. D'Lo, Schroeder, and Austin, you guys all do the same thing. So don't, do not fall for that. Like, mm-hmm. we, don't have, we don't have any any rookies playing. Like, don't fall for that. So, yeah. I, I just think that the players are so much smarter. They're able to manipulate the rules, and then every single year they have to change the rules based on how the players are manipulating them, right? Like James Harden like became such a master at, at manipulating the rules that they had to literally change the rules on, on foul calls. Mm-hmm. He, he got he to a point. 16 free throws a game. He got to a point in Houston where he could dribble the ball up the court and be like, all right, I kind of want two free throws on this to possession. And there was like an 100% chance he was going to somehow get fouled. He could tell like the momentum shift of the game and just get fouled and be like, "All right, yeah, let me just let me sink these two. Let me get my rhythm going." Like, yeah, it was Dame Dame Lillard is another good one. I mean, there's all these guys like all the best scorers of all time. Period are able to get to the free throw line. LeBron doesn't like LeBron barely gets fouled. Right. Goals. Him and him so and Steph, impressive. funny enough, are are two of the guys that don't like their free throw rate isn't necessarily as high as you would expect because people say like superstar calls. And they've been yeah. the two biggest superstars for a decade. And um, I don't know, you don't really see them getting up there. But why do you think people get so mad at the players rather than at the refs? You know what I mean? Because um, from my standpoint, people are like, oh, my God, Trey Young, hard in his day. People are starting to say it about Reeves, like I'm saying. Embiid gets a lot of hate for it. They're like, oh, he just he's just foul-baiting every time. But, like, if yeah. the refs are going to call it, then why aren't you going to try and do it? You know what I mean? It's not the most, like, yeah. entertaining, like – visually pleasing product but i mean they're still putting up like 35 a game so every single year at the beginning of the year we have a, a refs meeting right so like i, I did one for you're the there? league that 
the NBA. Yeah, I was I was there for. Oh, the really? Wow. And they go over all the rules that they're trying to implement for that season. They're going they're going all over these things. So during this meeting, LeBron brings up like 15 points to the refs about how how this is going to affect the game, how this is going to get called, what how this is going to affect him compared to certain players and everything like that. Mm-hmm. So this year they implemented the take foul. Right. Right? So but the there's a rule in the take foul that the reason why I'm bringing this up is that people are so smart that they think about these things and they're able to manipulate the game. During the and game. Bron's, and Bron's thinking about, all right, we're playing against CP3 in the playoffs. We're playing against Trey Young. We're playing against all these different guys. They're going to manipulate the game in this in this sort of way, right? And when you play against smart players, you have to think two steps ahead of them. So, so LeBron's questioning everything that's going on mm-hmm. in this meeting. I'm sitting right next to him. So one of the things is the take foul. But if you go for the ball, if you go for the ball on the, on the break – then that's not considered a take foul. Mm-hmm. So LeBron's first question is, if I'm dribbling the ball up the court and someone goes across my body to try and steal the ball, it's technically you're going for the ball, and then that creates a collision. Next thing you know, I'm down, and all these, all these other guys are getting injured because a guy like Pat Beverly, who's smart, is going to go for the ball in the break. Like That's going to affect the game. So mm-hmm. he's asking this like real real life time. So it's like, the reason, like I said, like I'm bringing this up because it's like LeBron's thinking three steps ahead of the refs, saying, "Oh, they're just going to go for the ball." No, there's going to be a collision that happens. Yeah. A guy like LeBron's going to be out because someone wants to take wants to take him out. And this is their chance. Oh, I'm going for the ball. No, you're not going for the ball. You're trying to take advantage of the rule that's that's taking place. So I think the NBA has such smart players, like literally, like a guy like Chris Paul who's 36. Like he's he's seen every situation, right? And every single year he's trying to take advantage of the rules, and he's telling his teammates, like, "Hey." Booker last night. Every single time he gets hit, yeah. oh, like just throws his head just, back. Yeah, throws his head back. Even Luca, like Luca last night, <laughs> he like he didn't even get touched. He throws his head back like he, he freaking. Sh- yeah, you got to sell it. Yeah, yeah. Then, he's, then he's arguing the call. So it's just the nature of our game. It's all out of competitive spirit, and uh, I think Austin does a great job of, of oh, getting those calls, does. which is. He's Which a big is, time uh, come off the screen, and then you kind of like throw your weight back into the guy that's that's guarding you. And it's definitely not a foul, but they always call it. So I mean, it's, it's like as a defender, like to... what are you supposed to do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Defend, like like how how do you get how do you even contest a shot? Because the, we always talk about rear view contest in basketball. A rear view contest can mess up mess up a shooter. So you're coming to rear view contest. You can't even rear view contest because he's just throwing his body back into you. Yeah. So yeah, for the yeah. listeners, a rear view contest. I'm gonna guess what that is. I think it's like a rearview mirror, basically. Like I you're, mean, you're, you're, just, putting you're, your, to... you're putting your hand over the top of their head. No, or, or you're just, or you're just affecting them from the, from the side, weird, but from, from from the side or behind, right? Like just okay. like trying to, I say trying to, there, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, man, it's it's uh, it's it's a term that we talk about all the time, and just try and get a rearview contest. Yeah, but I mean, shout out to Austin; he's absolutely killing it. So killing it. Nice little, nice little pod talk right there about about fouls. Oh, big time, big time. We also got out at. We're gonna do it. It's, it's copycat league this week, because we had a good one. Swider actually sent it to me. It's including my uh, maybe my favorite person in the entire earth, Damian Lillard. But yep. First Swider, we have a stat of the week. We're bringing back all the segments. Let's do it. Let's have a day. Stat of the week, Swider. Are you aware where you rank in three point field goal percentage and three point makes in the G League? Well, I'm just going to make a comment. I didn't play yeah. probably about seven seven or eight games for the three-point uh, makes category. 
So um, I would say probably around eighth, eighth or ninth. Okay, well, that makes it real awkward because you're 11th. Okay. You're 11th in both. But wow. top three in each, you are by at least five in both categories. You've played less games. So, like, you've played 26 games. Yep. Everyone else has played about 33, 35-ish. So, yeah, congrats. That's our stat of the week. Thanks. Sorry, uh, I appreciate that, that really uh, that really hurt the emphasis there that you guessed higher. I thought you were going to say like lower. <laughs> well, I just I just didn't know because I I've played a lot less games than these guys. So. Yeah, that's what I mean. But yeah, all right, that's good stuff. Anyway, that's why our March Madness recap. Your main takeaways: we just we just went on a, a rant about comparing the uh, the refs the, the foul baiting in college <laughs> versus. First the NBA, but the actual basketball, how much were you able to watch? Your key takeaways. Um, we'll get into the darlings here, but, um, yeah, what did you think of the first weekend? I mean, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about how magical of a March Madness weekend that was. I was able to catch a, a good amount, but I was constantly updated throughout the tournament because of a group message that I'm in <laughs> uh, with Jimmy Bayheim and Patty Casey. So I was very thankful for them for keeping me in the loop about how every single actually, thing that was going on. For the listener, I was staring two inches from my phone for four days in a row. So every time Jimmy sent the text, it seemed like Jimmy was on the same wavelength. Because every time we sent a text back and forth, I wasn't even getting the notification. It was like I was already looking at the group, and it would just populate another another bubble from Jimmy Behan. But the, the commenta- you, you the commentary. Were, you were going like at least a hundred texts in between. So how many how many conservatively texts do you think there was fired off back and forth? Conservatively. I would say at least nine hundred yeah. to a uh, thousand. I was gonna say a grand. I'd put a stack on it. Nine hundred to a thousand texts. Yeah, yeah. And it was just high level, big brain basketball. High level commentary. Yep. High level but, commentary. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess FDU is probably the story of the tournament still. Wouldn't you say? I mean, Princeton making it to the Sweet Sixteen is. is it's kind I of mean, flying under the radar. But I also think like we've seen so many fifteen seeds in the past three years get to the. Get to the Sweet 16. I'm kind of getting numb to it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, what's it? This is three years in a row, right? Or Roberts, yeah. Peters, and then Princeton. Yeah, how about and also like? Go ahead. And also like Princeton is like, they're really good. <laughs> yeah, they're not like an under. They beat the absolute shit out of Missouri. Like I, I thought they were going to beat Missouri just the way they play. Yeah. I don't think they have a great. I don't think they have a great chance against Creighton because I think Creighton thinks the game as well as being able to play the game. They play in the Big East where it's so heavily scouted, like. I thought they had a chance to beat Baylor, though. I thought if Baylor got to that really? next game, I, th- I thought Princeton had a chance to beat them. Yeah, it would definitely that... be more like contrasting styles. Yeah, but I, I think they're going to really struggle against Creighton. But them making it to Sweet 16 is, is obviously magical. St. Peter's making it to the Elite Eight. That was magical. Um, and then Purdue losing again to, to a double-digit seed for the third third year yeah. straight. It's just, it's just <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Tough. The other thing with Princeton, how... too, is like uh... – one of the part, like the magical parts of someone making a run, like whether it's Florida Gulf Coast, Oral Roberts, St. Peter's last year, yeah, you love consuming all the stories about like, oh, this is this small school from here, and they show you the pictures of the St. Peter's locker room, and their gym yeah. was flooded halfway through the year, and they only have one side of bleachers. It's like, all right, yeah. Princeton wins. Yeah, I know where Princeton is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like they you, have, you know, all these like, guys are gonna be fine too. Like these yeah, guys they are gonna have be a, in Wall Street in a couple years. They have a two hundred billion, a thousand dollar, trillion endowment. Yeah, 
all, all those things. Yep, two hundred billion, thousand dollar trillion, bang. Yep. But uh, yeah, it kind of it doesn't take away because it's just as like impressive that they're doing it, but it's not quite as Cinderella, if that makes sense. Uh, I totally agree. They're, they're they're a really good team. I mean, they're, they're constantly at the top of the Ivy. They 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 probably shouldn't have got seed a fifteen seed, but it's like mm-hmm. where do you put a team like Princeton? They weren't even the, the Yale was the best team in the Ivy League in terms of record wise. And uh, and then Princeton and got the bid. Though. They obviously yeah they, they beat him in the Ivy tournament and like teams like that. I mean we we played Cornell every year at at Syracuse. We played Penn every year at Villanova. I I lost to Penn when I was at Nova. Yeah. And we were a much more talented team, but the way they play, their offense, their style of play, it, it's a difficult matchup, and it's and it's tough for teams to prepare for those guys. And literally, what you have three days to prepare? Yeah, the last uh, last couple of years, Ivy's inching more towards like A10 territory than it is like the bottom of D1, in my opinion. I but, agree. I agree. I I think like I mean Jimmy will tell you there's good players in the Ivy League, but uh, <laughs> yeah, they could play anywhere. Yeah, they could play anywhere, but it's just like it's funny like. These guys aren't going to transfer because of how good they're, how the good the school is. So you're playing against juniors and seniors who have been through the mud, who have, who have yeah. played against older guys. It's not it's not the normal college basketball where guys are leaving after one or two years and transferring to different levels. Mm-hmm. Um, here's a question that I was pondering by myself, thinking about this Purdue loss. Yeah. So at face value, right, you're a one seed. You lose to a 16 seed. It's the second time it's ever happened. People are freaking out. They're clowning them because FDU is the smallest team in the tournament. Yada, yada, yep. yada. This is, I mean, by the time this comes out, it'll be a week after the game happens. So you've heard all the commentary yeah. about it. What It's a, a take I haven't heard that I think might be my take. I don't know if I actually firmly believe this or I'm just saying it to be different. I actually think the St. Peter's loss was worse than this loss. Yeah, that's a take. That's a take. I, I, I do think that... When St. Peter's beats them in the Sweet 16... It's so different. It's so different than losing in the first round. In the first round, it's like... Like, you didn't really get to prepare for the team. You didn't know how good they were. You might have been sleeping on them a little bit. Exactly. One, they're one they're sneaking up on seed. you. Yeah. But with St. Peter's, like, in the Sweet 16, you should you should be ready for that game. Yeah. Like, the other thing is, uh, the knock on Purdue all year is, like, their guards are not great. Edie's enormous, but, I mean, like... As I've said, hey, Patty, on what, podcast, what's your quote? What's your quote? What's your uh, what's your statement? Guard play you... wins in March. Wow. And that kind of proved to be true in that game. You know what I mean? Like Purdue was a one seed, but I think anyone, even Purdue fans, would tell you they overachieved all year. And the team last year had way more national championship aspirations. You know what I mean? You got Jaden Ivey. Yeah. You got Trayvon Williams. And then, like I said, St. Peter's not sneaking up on you in the Sweet 16. You know what I mean? All eyes on you. And then. You lose that game. I don't know. Both are pretty, pretty bad, pretty tragic. I feel bad for their fans. I feel I just bad think for the kids, honestly. But um, the, the St. Yeah. Peter's loss to me, they they were obviously hot. I think that's really unacceptable about the, about the Fairleigh Dixon loss is that, like, if you've seen the Ken Palm stats behind the the Fairleigh Dixon team, they're like three hundred in defense, three hundred points let up in the paint. Like, I, I just. Yeah, and I mean, it was a giant moment don't get for how me you as, lose that game. as a D2 guy because they basically, it was essentially a D2 team. Three of their kids were... St. Thomas Aquinas. Were transfers from St. Thomas Aquinas. I did play them three times. We did get blown out three times. Um, Tob- you played against Tobin Anderson? Yeah. Wow. Uh, great coach. He, like, ran that region for so long. It's kind of... 
ridiculous. I don't know if you saw the Woj text yeah. that you put out, but it's kind of ridiculous it took him that long to get a Division One job. He had a few guys when he was there that were, like, All-Americans. Um, this kid that I played, Reyes, was, like, drafted in the G League from D2. Wow. So very, very good program. I played number two, the kid that was just getting busy, um, Demetrius Roberts. Yeah. I don't know if his first name's Demetrius. Something Roberts, but... Yep. Yeah, I looked up my stats. When I was a sophomore, um, I had 12 points against them. Seven turnovers in the first half. So they did run the same press. I had the same struggles <laughs> as the Purdue kids, so I, I relate to it on that level. But, um, yeah, I mean, you can't lose that game if you're Purdue. You can lose it if you use Sciences. You brush that yeah. off, move on to the next one. But when you're uh, one seed Purdue Boilermakers, it's pretty tough. Patty, I have a question for you, right? So Go Tobin ahead. Anderson took the Fairleigh Dickinson job on May 3rd. 2022 and then he leaves for the Iona job March 21st of 2023 but all we hear all year round from all these Twitter heads and people talking about college basketball is the transfer portal is terrible oh and that's a good point these kids these kids get to leave all the time what is your opinion on and I I think Tobin Anderson did a great job I think he deserves the Iona job and someone did predict that maybe he'd be in the running for the Iona job but um, I'll let you tell that. I story. didn't hear that anywhere, actually. Yeah, that that blindsided me that he got the Iona job. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, <laughs> Patty, what, what's your what's your opinion on that? No, but before I get to my opinion, I will uh, I will give you credit there because in that aforementioned group message with Jimmy Beheim, one of like the I'd say Swider sent about five percent of the text throughout the week, but uh, one of them was predicting that we're talking about the potential of Patino going elsewhere after Iona had lost. And Swider said, I bet the FDU guy gets the Iona job. Me and Jimmy kind of brushed off. We're like, all right, Swider, whatever, man. He's been there for 10 months. Maybe he'll get a job. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, you did predict that. It, it did come to fruition a couple days later, which we should also mention. Patino being back is awesome. It's very deserved. Also, shout-out Dan Fitz, manager last year. He's going with him to St. John's. St. John's. That's that's big time, but as far as the question you asked, um, it is it is insane how it's just like funny to watch on Twitter how the tune changes with coaches, because like you're saying, it's it's essentially the same thing. You're making a decision for yourself, which is basically like I have no problem with Coach Anderson doing that, but. Like, you can't just then flip and be like, oh, well, these kids are transferring too much, which we got into all last week. But the thing with, like, be, this guy was in Division Two 12 months ago. You know what I mean? Like, his lifelong dream. The reason you get into coaching is to get to the highest level that you can in college. And the other thing is if you wait around too long, you, you like, this opportunity n- might never come again. Like, you, you talk about guys who, like, go on a run. They're a player in the NCAA tournament. It's like, oh, their name's hot. He probably should leave for the draft now because he's never, his stock is never going to be higher. FDU, if you asked them three weeks ago, like, think about this. If Merrimack was eligible, Tobin Anderson is at FDU for how, like, how many more years? You know what I mean? And then, yeah, two more years from now, like, FDU goes 7-22. and 22, It's like he might lose the FDU job. You know what I mean? So, like, these guys, you have to just capitalize on these march rounds because if you're like, oh, well, He's only, he's only been there for 10 months. He should probably, you know, be loyal to those kids and, and stick around. Like, yeah, it sounds good. In a perfect world, you would do that. But if you wait around, you might just miss your opportunity. And then you're like, 
Fuck, now I'm stuck. <laughs> I'm stuck at this level. And obviously the reason why you're getting in, into it is try to, like, move up as, as much as you can. But, sorry, that was pretty long-winded, but... No, I, I agree. I agree. I think you always got to capitalize, capitalize on your time. Um, as a Division One coach, as a basketball player, like, especially now with the NIL, right? Like, you could have a great year at Fairleigh Dickinson as a player or a coach, and then that next that next year you could be making... Yeah, exactly. $100,000 as a player, or, or I, don't, I don't know how much Tommy Anderson yeah. paid at Iona, but... It's definitely way way more than at FDU. Like he was talking, I saw an interview with him before that playing game that they played at Dayton, and uh, he was saying, like he was like, I thought being a Division One coach would be awesome. Like, I don't know, you think of it as more of a luxur- luxurious job. And he was like, obviously, I'm thankful to be a Division One head coach, but I actually have to do more work here than I did last year because, like, he was like, I have to do the laundry here. Like, we don't have many managers. Like, our facilities aren't as good and stuff like that. Like, people don't factor that in. So you go to somewhere like Iona, it's just a complete step up. Yeah, definitely. Copycat. We need we need a noise for the segment. We also need a sponsor. I say that every single week, so we're, we're taking sponsors for that. But some great hoops talk. More to come here, and it's a copycat league. Big time segment. Swire, you actually called this one out. I think it was over a week ago at this point. Um... But we, it was a clip on Twitter from a podcast who shall not be named because it's a direct competitor. But it was of my favorite player for a decade now, Damian Lillard. The long and short of it, um, you know, whenever Dame is in the news, people are just talking about how he should leave Portland. Do you want to leave Portland? He gets like, I don't know, 3,000 questions about it a week. And basically, the cliff notes of it, is he's just saying, like, I'm fulfilled. I have a life outside of basketball. People always ask me this. They think I'm bashing super teams. I've stayed in Portland. I love Portland. And he's basically just saying he doesn't need to win a ring to feel fulfilled in his NBA career. But in his bigger point, he starts talking about how the NBA now, the the culture around it, the mindset towards success in the NBA is kind of toxic. So I don't know, Swire, you sent me the clip. What were your what were your main takeaways from from that uh, topic? Well, one well, I would say, as a reporter, as a person who does media for, I mean, I'm not in the media, but as a person who, oh, sure I, we I, are. I guess we're, we're, we're former new media. media, but for a person that has <laughs> like Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman and um, whoever Stephen A. is reporting against, right, uh, or even like a Nick Wright or some yeah. of these shows in the morning, Shannon Sharp, Skip Bayless. You, I, I do respect the the journalistic approach of of, be, of having to appease the crowd, of having to start conversations. They literally are on TV every single day, so they have to start these conversations, right? And what is mm-hmm. the number one argument from for Michael Jordan being the greatest player of all time? Six for six in the finals. So when comparing players in this era to to other players, they're always going to use that argument. So what is ha- what is, has that turned into? It's turned into the ring culture. It's turned into you're not you're not validated until you win, win a ring. But to, to Dame's point, what is success, right? Because he talks about the idea of pressure, how he doesn't really face real real life pressure. People who are facing pressure are the people who are starting to put a meal on the table for their families and all the things yeah. like that. So my takeaway is we've kind of lost the idea of what success really is, right? And 
Dame's accomplishments are minimized, or the way that he's perceived are minimized because of the ring culture and the in the in the society that we've kind of created through this ring culture. Like people get mad at KD for leaving, but would he have left if the if the idea behind rings and all these things and the way the media was talking was was different? Was yeah. Different, so yeah. I just think it's it's a more complex issue, which is the way our society's going, right? I mean. Like I said, I respect the mm-hmm. journalistic integrity of all these guys and what they have to do, and, and, and they have to create content every single day. That's not easy. But I think our idea of success is being skewed by the fact of if you don't win a championship, then then you're looked down upon. Like Charles Barkley didn't have a good NBA career because he didn't win a championship. Like some of these guys who have legendary careers who've changed millions of people's lives, who've created fans and, and this legacy and um, – their careers aren't looked at the same as a guy who has one championship or two championships, which is then people get mad at KD. So you can't you can't really win at the end of the day, anyways. So yeah, yeah, Dame. Uh, he's also the self awareness that he has about all these topics and basically just when he speaks on his career as a whole and how he's viewed by other people, it seems like he's very tuned into it. But it just actually doesn't bother him, which so many athletes say. But you could tell with him, it's yeah. very genuine. Because my favorite part of the clip is, like, he's like, I go home, I, you know, hang out with my cousin, my best friend comes out, he stays here for a couple couple weeks, like, I talk to my grandma (laughs) on the phone, like, all that type of stuff. And he's like, I'm just a normal guy. And at the end of the day, I also saw Spencer Dinwiddie had a similar quote, so it really is a copycat league. It's it's hot in the streets right now. But he was saying, like, unless you're one of the – unless you're Jordan, unless you're Kobe, unless you're LeBron, like, those upper echelon guys – once you're done, people just stop yeah. kind of talking about you. You know what I mean? So, like, if you're really that concerned about, like, if Dame were to just, like, demand a trade, and who knows, maybe down the road he goes somewhere else, but, like, if he were to demand a trade and force his way out and he goes somewhere and he wins a ring, his point is basically, like, is that really going to be, like, my fulfillment just because the next day on first take they're like, Dame got a ring, now he's good. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's like, I'm still the same player, but I don't know. It's... I feel bad for the guy because it's literally just all he's been talking about for six, seven years now, and he's repeatedly said like, "No, I'm good." I think him and Bradley. Be- I mean, I think Dame's obviously a much better player all time than Bradley Beal. But Bradley Beal's kind of done the same thing, right? Like he's stayed in Washington, he signed these big deals, and and it's kind of minimized his opportunity to win a championship. But at the end of the day, like he's an amazing player who has done amazing things and has has kept Washington afloat. I mean, they're not gonna like neither team will make the playoffs this year probably. But they both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dame's like officially out. I think the the Wizards. Yeah, so, are but like, well, but. they they've created this legacy and, and this, and have created their own greatness and their own levels of success. So, I don't know. I, I think we take lightly how hard it is to do on an every single night basis of what these guys are doing, averaging thirty mm-hmm. points a game and trying to bring young teams and teams that aren't ready to win to to almost making the playoffs every single year. So, it's uh. It's tough. It's it's a part of our society and culture, and I, I mean, it's not going to change. So, I mean, there's really no point of like complaining about it. But uh, we live in a rings culture, Patty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That clip also went viral, so yeah, this exactly. one better too. That was the point of doing it. That's the point of the segment. But um, Swire, some great basketball, some great hoop talk to start the show today. It's like it's like peanut butter and jelly. The Swider show and hoop talk. <laughs> yeah, we got to. Uh, I don't know. One of these weeks, maybe we'll just go a solo week and just just break down March Madness, break yep. down all hoops, front to back. Uh, what was I going to say too? Oh, 
maybe a summer episode we got to get one of those refs on that <laughs> that you were talking about <laughs> being in the meeting with break down all the rules because we seem to be rules yeah. experts now but um yeah i mean with with damon in mind here i guess we'll kick it to his former teammate bubble teammate in a playoff series against the los angeles lakers he now is a los angeles laker very valued member your friend now the show's friend Wenyan gabriel um disclaimer i will not be able to be on the interview very sad by that i'm sure you guys are bummed out but Swatter will hold down the fort here. It'll probably be better because I'm not on. So <laughs> Never that, Patty. Be- best co-host and in- in- podcast. <laughs> yep, exactly. Coming at me, Tommy Alter, all those guys. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Swatter, you want to close yeah, it out Yeah, obviously, here? really excited to get Wendy on the podcast. He has a great story, um, unbelievable story, of not only his career on the court, but his impact in South Sudan, his home country, and everything like that. So we'll get all- we'll get into all those things in this interview with Wenyan and uh, super excited for you guys to hear. Follow us on all platforms at Swider Show. I know Patty yep. has a great, great uh, spot at the end of, of all of our shows and, and telling you what, what to do. Yeah. But nice yeah. little music in the background. But yeah, just we can never say it just, enough. Just follow us on all platforms and email us your questions. Uh, super, super, super grateful for you guys listening and uh, we're going to kick it over to Wenyan. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to episode 25 with my boy Wenyan Gabriel, man. Super happy and, and pleased to have my boy Wenyan on. Uh, fellow New Englander. Not a lot of us in the NBA, Wenyan, so I appreciate you coming on the show, man. Yeah, for sure. You know I got to show love. I had to hop on the pod real quick. You know, he's doing a great job with this now. I appreciate you having me, bro. Hell yeah, man. I appreciate you. Yeah, unfortunately, we don't have Patty on. We talked about it a little bit on the pre-show, but um, still still super excited to have Wenyan on. And yeah, Wenyan, first of all, like, how you feeling, man? Obviously, we're getting to the crunch crunch time of the season. This is your fifth NBA season. You, you've been through it. Um, how's your body feeling, and, and how you feel for this little playoff push coming up? I'm feeling good. I'm in a good space physically and mentally. I mean, all season, um, you know, I've been on and off with the minutes, but more so in my career has been the more consistent minutes I've gotten, and I feel like I've, I've improved in a lot of different ways. And then just having the approach, this being my fifth season, I uh, came in with a different approach to, you know, taking care of my body and also like, you know, playing with LeBron last year, seeing how different players take care of their bodies and Russ as well, like their preparation and everything that goes into the game. So that's those things, little things that I kind of added to what I, my own routine and, you know, just take care of my body. So I feel good right now physically. My body feels good. And like you said, we, we've been on a couple, we've been on a little winning streak and we had some, uh, you know, got a new team basically again. Yeah. So, um, like there's like a new spirit to the team that was um, that that's that's positive. You know, it's just more positive, and I feel like uh, people can see that, fans can see it, and all of us we can feel it when we're out there on the floor. So, I mean, I'm feeling good right now. Yeah, let's talk about that. Obviously, you've you've been through every every ups and downs of your NBA career, and you started out on a two way with the Kings, then you've been bounced all over the league, and and this like you said, this is the biggest role that you you've had. 
what do you think has been the difference this year in terms of just, just overall fit with the Lakers, which has made you had the biggest role yet? I mean, you did start in a playoff series against the Lakers in the, in the bubble, but what 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 is what has kind of separated you this season to kind of have that that role and, and consistency throughout the year? I think um, just being – I was here the whole summer and being here in the beginning and having, like, some type of familiarity being here last year a little bit. And kind of part of the vision a little bit more. So um, maybe at first, not so much. It wasn't like in the plans for me to be like a rotational player that much. But you know, the circumstances allowed you know me injuries or whatever may have happened. And some minutes opened up, and uh, I was able to perform during those minutes. And I think like kind of earning my coach's trust and earning my teammates' trust early on was what helped me have a more like consistent type of year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure, man. I, I mean. One thing that all Lakers fans will say is that you play your heart out every single game. What what goes into that? Because when I played against you in high school, you obviously played hard, but it wasn't that wasn't what you were known for. You're known for your shooting. You're known for your athleticism. You're known for all these different things. What what has what has that transition been like? It's been. I mean, like it's like been up and down. Like you said, I've been all over, bouncing around the league, and you got to figure out like what. What is my – how do you carve out a role? You know, I was really trying to figure out how I'm going to carve out a role. How do I get in rotation? How do I get on the floor? Okay, what does the team need? Our team needs extra possessions and stuff. And also I had to look at myself, like, what am I really, really good at? You know, yeah. what could I bring every single night consistently? And I had to really, really know, like, when I see myself when I watch a lot of film and stuff, so when I'm watching film, I see different opportunities where I could have got this rebound there or that over there. But, you know, I always played hard, and that was one thing. Like, my motor is something that I have. I have a high motor, and that's kind of how I utilize it. So that helps me get on the floor, and then when I get on the floor, that's the plan is to let my talent kind of show, show after that. Kind of that, just getting on the floor, getting reps more, getting more uh, comfortable on the floor, then you'll see more of uh, what you already have. You know what I mean? For sure, man. Yeah, bro. So, it's, it be a lot, bro. Though it's like it's just it's not easy. You know what I mean? It's uh, not easy because it's like obviously physically it's not easy because I'm undersized and I'm going against. Now my role this year called for me to play center. Like the last few years, I've been like in Portland or New Orleans. I was playing the four. You know what I mean? So, but being in the G League that really helped me out because that's kind of where I learned how to play the five, playing at the five, learn how to guard it. And uh, just be in the right position and, you know, all those little things I do to try to, like, stun at the ball and try to block shots yeah. and different things like that. I had to learn that in the G League. So that transition to the league, having that skill set, helped me, you know, being able to be a good defender in that sense. So that got me on the floor. But then, like, kind of playing out of position and I'm playing against guys that are bigger than me. So I have to play harder. You know what I'm saying? I got I to gotta make up for that. <laughs> and then sometimes yeah. you be the only big on the floor. You know what I mean? Because they we might have we might be really small other than my size and I'm already undersized. So we gotta play faster, you know what I'm saying? Like that's how we gotta play to our advantages. Okay, I'm faster than him. I gotta beat him down the floor. Or I gotta yeah. make him if he's a slower guy, I gotta run him into the pick and roll, make sure he's in the action. So our offense is good. And someone's got a roll as well when you're at the five. So sometimes you, you pass up more opportunities to shoot threes or whatnot. But at the end of the day, you're trying to win. You gotta be a winning player. And that's yeah. kind of how to make my career around that, trying to be a winning player. So Feeling like we're getting wins and stuff, that makes me feel good. It also makes the little things I do stand out a little bit more when you're winning rather than if you're losing. Talk about this season a little bit because we've had so many ups and downs as a team. You've had so many different roles. You were in the rotation, out of the rotation, starting. Um, we had 
Russ on our team, Pat on our team, to now we have D'Lo and, and Malik and all these new guys. What has this, se- what has this season kind of been like for you? Because, like, I mean, for, from the outside looking in, it's like you've handled it great, but obviously everyone has their own interpretation or perspective on, on the season. I mean, like, it's chaos, but at the end of the day, like, this journey's my journey's already been chaotic like this. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, going around to different teams and stuff. Like, even last year, being on a bunch of different 10 days, like, coming out of the G League and bouncing out. So, getting new teammates, that's not something that's, you know, foreign to me. So, I was just kind of adjusting and adapting within that. Like, even since I came here as a two-way and finishing the season, like, that was a long stretch for me to have one group of teammates. And then yeah. that a lot of those players left after that year. We had a whole new group of players at the beginning of the year. So it felt like I've been on three teams already. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, But, like, for me, I feel like I've been able to handle it well because, like, just the, the survival mechanisms I've had to pick up in terms of, you know, trying to survive through this chaotic journey I've been through was something that became um, – helped me be, feel more comfortable when it was happening around me. For sure, man. Obviously – You've not only had a chaotic journey on the basketball court, but also off the court as well. One, one thing that a lot of people have seen on your on the social media, on Spectrum Sports, is uh, your journey over to, to South Sudan this summer to, to help out and have your own basketball camp. Obviously, this is getting off topic a little bit here, but just to talk about your journey. What was that, ex- what was that experience like? And, and, and if you want to talk about your background a little bit, that would be amazing too. But one of the things that I, I admire about that journey was – or seeing that that was like, you're obviously a great basketball player. You've accomplished so many things, but as a human being, you went over there and decided to impact a, a country. What well, talk about that experience and, and and your experience, obviously coming over uh, and or going over there and and helping out. Man, I always see that whole thing as just as a blessing. You know, I'm always super grateful. Even like since I was growing up here in America, I always knew that I came from somewhere else. You know. So, like, I always looked different from when the people that was around me. And, you know, I was always a curious kid, so I always wanted to have a chance to go back. But, like, growing up playing basketball and stuff um, in the summers, I never really could just go back. Like, we're trying to do AAU, we're trying to do that. And when I was really young, like, my parents, they just didn't have the money for that, for us to all go on a family trip back to Africa. So, like, I always, like, was yearning for that. And then every year I'm like, okay, I'm going to go next year. I'm going to go next year, but I can't. You know, then COVID hit. And it was always in the plans, but then when the opportunity finally came, I had to strike right away. And that was just like, I felt like it was just God's timing, you know, it was that God's plan. But like ever since I first, I really first wanted to do something back home, well, that's when I went to prep school and like I was kind of yeah. away from where I grew up a little bit. So you had a lot more time to kind of think. And I was really like, I'm like looking at this environment and how it's like kind of molding me into being a different person because you're kind of way and you have to figure out your own life kind of early. You're more independent, but you're not, but you're still structured there too. But it's like, I felt like, damn, this is really good. This is something that if we just had it at home, you know, just opportunity. Cause I'd be looking at myself. There's no different for me than them. than the fact that I was here in America and had opportunity, yeah. like I could literally just be one of them easily. If something that didn't go right in one of my parents way, you know what I mean? So like, it's not, I did, I didn't do anything come to america i was a child you know so like yeah when i think about that i'm like i just want to bring more opportunity back home and i also like not many people have opportunity to go back and build a country like like to help build you know what i'm saying like like this we have the world's youngest country so i went home and my country is like 
we've obviously been war torn and we have a, a long past of history. But at this point, my mind is everything trying to go forward. And, you know, I'm trying to bring like the blessings and the things I've learned over here to over there where we can help start from scratch and start to build the nation up. And um, all the people like myself, like all around the country that are around the world, actually, because we have refugees all over the place. And uh, yeah. they've learned a lot of different things. They have their own skills where we could just come back home and we could start building things up the right way. And I just feel like there's a big future in that. And there's a sense of purpose in that, that that gives me that fuel. Like, it helps me to keep going. It's almost the same as, like, wanting to provide for my family as well, that same kind of drive. So even when I'm done hooping, I'm always going to have that drive to to want to do something more. So like, going back and doing the camp, man, that was something that, that I couldn't even put into words because it was a – it was so emotional. I got to see a bunch of different things when I went home. It wasn't just a basketball camp. You know, that was just two days of the trip. You know what I mean? Like, I went to the UN and I visited the refugee camps that are in my country, the IDP camps, and I got to see how they were living. And that stuff was, like, really hard. Like, it really hits you in the heart to see, like, this is in 2023 right now. This is how people yeah. are living. You know, so it's like, it really, it really touched me. And you get to see and you kind of see yourself within them. You know, and then I see the young kids, they're over here working so hard. Like these kids, they don't even know if they have any chance for anything, but they're working. They don't know. They sprinting. They don't even know if there is a finish line. You know, they're just they're going as hard as they can. And I kind of was admiring that. And that just makes you want to do more for them. So I'm definitely going to come back to that next year. And, um, I mean, not next year, this summer coming up soon. Yeah. And I've been building a basketball court. I'm working with the NBPA as well, NBA Africa. You know, you know, kind of pulling my resources and kind of trying to build a, a strong foundation to what all the different things I want to do in the future. Like, what, what were some of the traditions that kind of like shocked you over there? Did, was there anything that you picked up over there that you didn't know in terms of just traditions? I saw you were like jumping around a lot with like with, with, in, in the little Spectrum Sports special. I mean, it was so powerful for me because I've obviously never been over to South Sudan and. Um, just see, just seeing you interact with the kids seems so special. Like, what, what were some of the things that you picked up, or what were some of the traditions that or, that were different? So I already knew about that dance. You know, we did it. I did it at my brother's wedding actually a few okay. years ago. Yeah, so that this this a traditional dance. But um, I definitely learned a bunch of new stuff. I mean, I got to see. I I, I hear a lot of stuff from my mom. You know, they tell me yeah. about my older brother. But when you actually go there, it's different. You know what I mean? And I really started to pick up. Um, I hear stories. You know about. My, my dad, like, I find out about who he was, the other people. I get to see, like, um, like I got to see my grandma again. That was something that was really dope. But, like, traditions, like, the way the cows are everywhere, I didn't know that. <laughs> like, I knew some, I know a lot of this stuff, but, like, <laughs> I don't even want to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. But, okay, I went home to my uh, to my home village. So we went, we came back to, um, we flew into Juba, which is the capital of South Sudan. And then from there, um, I took like 12 people. We got a plane. And then I flew to Rumbek is where my hometown is. And that's where I was really like, damn, this is where both of my parents are from. Like, I wasn't born there, but both of my parents are from the city of Rumbek. And um, so I got to see like my mom's uh grandfather's grave, my dad's grandfather's grave, my great, great grandfather's grave. Then I went home to the village. And then um, they're all doing this this dance. They kind of like kind of met me on the road. All the women in the village, they were dancing. They had a poster up. And it was basically, it was one of my great, great, great grandfathers. And I went to the village and I didn't know. There was like a huge wooden statue of him. Wow. 
And then he had his six wives that had wooden statues too right next to them. And there were a bunch of like sacrifices. Like there were like stakes on the ground where they would, you know, sacrifice a lamb or whatnot. And it was just like, it was, it was like a spiritual belief and it was a whole party. That's why we was doing all the dancing and they welcomed me home because they're like acting like, cause like I'm his son type of, and it was just something that I didn't know what was really going on in the village. But that was something that was kind of amazing to me. Like the way they welcomed me was, I didn't know, I didn't know what to expect. I was just walking like, wow, like, they're all over here. And they ran, you know, they were jogging for so long. Like I feel like it was like, <laughs> it was like, I try to go run with them too, but it would have got dark by the time they would have, I would have made it home. It was like 45 wow. minutes the way they was on the road. Do, do, uh, do they know who you are over there? Are you, are you famous over there? Do they know you're in the NBA or did they just look at you as like a role model because the clothes you're wearing or the stuff that you have? Like, well, yeah. So they, a lot of people do know who I am. So a lot of them, but a, a lot of people also, um, I mean, also, I have a big, really big family. So, like, okay. I, like I told you, my great-great-grandfather had six wives, you know, and then yeah. my grandpa had six wives. So there's so many people within the family that are going to talk about it and basketball and stuff. Yeah. But, um, you know, like, they, they even put up a big billboard for me when I went back home. Wow. Yeah, so, like, a lot of people knew who I was, and that's what really surprised me. I was like, I didn't know what type of turnout I was going to have. You know, I didn't have all – I didn't know I had any influence over there until I went and got to see it. Man, that's that's so empowering. It's amazing. Obviously, everything you you do on the basketball court couldn't beat beat the impact that you have over in your country and, and what you're doing over there, man. But getting back into basketball, obviously, you had a legendary high school career. You grew up in New Hampshire, played with New Hampshire rivals. I, I remember seeing you play when you were ninth ninth tenth grade, and and you were just like just just growing into your body almost. You know what I mean? And then and then seeing what you turned out into. Talk about where you kind of developed the love for basketball um, coming from Manchester, New Hampshire. And what, what is the nickname? Manch Vegas. <laughs> yeah. They call it Manch Vegas sometimes. Uh, yeah, yeah. So man, I mean, we just grew up all, uh, we really used to play football at first, but around like, like sixth grade, sixth, seventh grade, there was the, this AU, it wasn't an AU program yet, but there was like this, uh, this community center called the Bishop O'Neill center. So like, okay. I, Bishop I, I, Elite? I, I, yeah, Bishop Elite, but it before it became Bishop Elite, it was just a community center in the in the you know the the projects in the um wherever they uh what do you call it public housing, so that's where the community center was. But I didn't even I didn't I was mad young, so like my older brother and them they was gonna go play pickup, and I just wanted to um I just wanted to get out the house, bro. So I pulled up over there, and then uh, we ended up playing um we ended up playing uh. They, they ended up playing pickup and whatnot, and I was just there watching. But then this guy came, this bald guy, like 6'6". Six, six. His name was David Cooper, and he just started preaching, like talking about basketball, like going Division One, or you don't know what, whatever you want to do, want to know what it takes and stuff. So he started doing ball handling drills. Everyone's going hard. And I just kept coming back every single day, and then he would let me get into drills and whatnot, and that's kind of how I started. But Bishop Elite this is what was born out of that. We born an AU program. And that's what really I learned how to love basketball, just playing against each other every day. And, you know, my older sister played basketball. She played at um, she played with the at high school at the time, but she played at Boston College. And uh, oh, wow. she was the first hooper in our family, for real. So we wow. kind of followed her footsteps. Huh? I, didn't, I didn't know you had a sister play at Boston College. Obviously, I know Piath played with my my little sister, Kylie. They played on the same AAU team. Your brother, God, played at, your brother, God played at Monmouth. 
Um, that's crazy. Yeah, my older you, sister you, was the original hooper. Yeah, she went to prep wow. school in New Jersey. Petty, she kind of okay. opened up the gate for us. You know what I'm saying by being different and doing stuff because our parents kind of wanted to stay in the house. Like my brother yeah. wanted to go play basketball, and they're like, "Yo, that's um, you can't you can't hoop. You want to go play with those guys at the park down the street?" They didn't really know because we just came to America. You know what I'm saying? For them, they didn't really understand what basketball was at this point like that. So like it was hard for us to just play basketball. But, Man, after that, I started I started growing, playing with the rivals. That's where it really took off for me. Yeah. Like, playing with Bishop, it was cool. I really learned. But when it was time to grow, like, I went to go play with the rivals. And that's where it started skyrocketing for me. You know, I went there every single day. I would drive the mask. And then I would just work out every single day. I would make sure I made the, I was one of the most consistent people driving up there. And I would work out hard as hell. <laughs> so yeah. then I would come back home eventually. Uh, he, get, he wanted me to go play. Ben wanted me to play in one of his local tournaments. So I went and played in one of those local tournaments. And then uh, I was killing. I had like, I surely had a double double before half. And then yeah. I went and fractured my ankle. Yeah. So no I was, oh, yeah, I fractured my ankle, bro. But then he came and told me that he's going to have a spot for me in his elite team in the spring. So I'm like, yeah, it's lit. So boom, I got my, my ankle healed. And then I was applying to prep schools. I've always been applying to prep schools, you know, trying to get into prep school since I was in uh, since I was in middle school when I first, because I know that that's where everybody's going. But I didn't have no money, so I had to make sure I had good grades <laughs> so I could try to get into prep school. <laughs> so I got denied. I got waitlisted at Phillips Exeter, but I had a lot. I had, I had good grades, but clearly not that good to yeah. get into there. They wasn't taking my public school uh, principals list. So anyways, I went into Wilbraham Munson Academy with the help of Vin. You know, I applied yeah. to all these prep schools by myself. Like, I drove up to Wilbraham Munson. I drove up to um, Cushing Academy. Like, yep. I was trying to get into these different schools, and they just had the. I went to Bremer in May as well. I tried to go there, but at the end, like, the school that took me was Wilbraham for the best deal. So I went there. I reclassified, and then that summer is when I picked up all the offers. I had like twenty offers that summer. Yeah, and it just kept that. It just kept growing. Yeah, for sure. For people that don't know, for the listeners that don't know. New England basically has four AAU programs, or at least did have four AAU programs. It's BABC, Expressions, Mass Rivals, and New England Players at the time. Um, Vin is the head of the Mass Rivals, and obviously you guys have produced Noah Vonley, yourself, Jalen Adams, uh, Josh Sharma. Like The list goes on and on of Zach August, um, of really good talent. But talk about that summer because that summer you you blew up on the scene. You went from being not ranked to top ten in the country. You get Kentucky, Duke, uh, Providence, name the school you had them. Talk about that summer and how much that changed your life as well. Because you went from being unknown to not, now everyone's talking about you being a one and done, and now you have the pressure of being a one and done player. Um, yeah, everything happened so fast, man. Like that first year, I went to Rivals when I reclassed. It was cool. I went from unranked, and then I got ranked like 83rd by the end of my first year. And then that's when I knew I got to – because I was playing technically playing up because I was playing 17U. Yep. So I was going to play 17U again next year. And then you know, I got my first offer from Providence, from Ed Cooley. Wow. And, um, you know, I, I got to play against some of the higher-ranked players in that class, and I got to see how I matched up, and it gave me a lot of confidence. You know what I mean? So it was like, okay, like I know I can hoop with these guys. And then a lot of those guys are already gone. And now it's only the people from this class, so I know I'm gonna gonna kill them next summer. So it just motivated me to work hard all year, you know. And I was already working hard, but I just kind of took it off a notch. I was more intentional with it, 
And then when that summer came, like I was slowly getting more offers, you know, I'll get the Maryland, Virginia's. I was getting all those in the spring, you know, I got a Texas. I got a lot of those offers and then it kind of just kept coming on and it was building up a lot of hype. So more eyes was getting on me and they would come watch me more. So now more coaches would come watch me and I'll play good again. Now I'm getting more offers. Now, like, just keep, I was consistently balling. So when Vegas came, that's when I was playing at my best. Before I was playing good, I was doing everything that I do, but I wasn't making shots like that. You know, I wasn't, okay. my three ball wasn't falling. But when the summer of Vegas came, I was hot. So I was, I was really, I was really taking off right at that point because I was doing everything I normally do the hustle, the blocking shots, like, you know, rebounding, all that. And I was still getting double doubles, but then I started hitting my shots. Now it's like you might be in 26 and, tw- and 12 and then things like that in AAU games. And I'm getting that in front of all these coaches right in front of them. And they get to see how my motor was. And it was kind of building up a lot. And that's kind of really how I took off and got all the highest offers I want. And man, I went to end up going to Kentucky and it's just kind of a lot of pressure because like, you don't you you know you believe in yourself, but you also know that this all happened really fast. It's not like you was groomed into becoming this. You know what I'm saying? So it was like I had to kind of figure it out, and I was people kind of expecting me to know stuff that I don't know. You know what I'm saying? So now it's like I, I was a little bit behind in that sense, but um, you know I just had to keep trying to figure that out, man. And that's kind of how my journey has been. But as I just kept building as I go, you know, building as I go, yeah. I kept you know kept growing, I kept learning, and putting the, everything I learned together, and that's how I became a more efficient type of player. Talk about going to Kentucky because, just to name a couple of names, I mean, your first year you played with Bam Adebayo, De'Aaron Fox, Malik Bunk, Isaiah Briscoe. Your second year at Kentucky you played with SGA, Kevin Knox, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, people who don't know SGA, P.J. Washington, Hamadou Diallo, Quade Green, Jared Vanderbilt, um, who is actually with us now, which, uh, which is nice, but... Talk about playing at Kentucky and, and just knowing that you, there's five-star guys coming in, you yourself as a five-star guy, and, and the the pressure. And, and Coach Cal says Kentucky's not for everyone. Yeah. yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, Kentucky was something that um was also definitely a blessing to me, you know, and that's one of the best parts. There was a lot of good things about Kentucky. But, like, that brotherhood and having so many players that you was playing with or you was around – that around the same age as you that went to Kentucky, having a similar experience or whatnot. And we all in the league. So it's kind of fraternity. You know, we get to look out for each other. We see each other. And um, just the office also playing there is like being in the NBA, like coming to the NBA, like you get the same type of media when you're over there. And yeah. then, you you know, there's a lot of the same attention. There's the same pressure as well. Like you're coming in as freshmen and they're expecting you to, to win right away. You got to win everything. But um, like just having that fraternity is something that's that's amazing because like even coming to the league right now, you really get to see the blessings where it's like, damn, we all had the same coach. We played for here. Like now, for me, I got to play with a bunch of teammates I already played with off the rip. Yeah. I played with Aaron Fox when I got to Sac- Sacramento. Like that was that was dope. Then I get to play with Malik when I was in um when I was out here with the Lakers last year. Yeah. And now now JV is here. Like I'm always having a teammate and such. So like, and then you also always see each other around the way, but you know that I'm sure we're gonna end up playing against each other some more. I might have a different teammate that was came from Kentucky, but you know we all went through the same type of stuff. You know we have a similar journey, and then you know, like you said, we don't stay there long. So like we really yeah. there for a, sh- a short period of time. We're gone. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We were talking to 
to JB the other day, Jared Vanderbilt, he was like, yeah, I was literally there for seven months. Like, Yeah, JB was hurt. He didn't even really get to play, though. He got to – but when he was playing, he was hooping. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But even, like, like that's my second year. If me and JB was playing together more, I probably maybe – I played less that year. You know what I'm saying? That's another thing that's, like, uh, a pressure of having another class coming in because I could have already been – Maybe if JB was healthy, maybe I didn't even play a lot that year or whatnot. And it's like a, a different type of journey. You know what I'm saying? Like I played more my second year, but I, but I started more my first year. You know what I'm saying? So coming in as a freshman, you might get a better, better chance of getting those starter minutes or whatnot as yeah. opposed to being there longer. But you know, everyone has a difference. Cause like PJ came back his second year and he was killing that year. Killing. You know what I'm saying? So like that's it's there's different things for everybody. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. No, for sure, man. But we'll be wrapping up here soon. What one thing I wanted to ask you about was uh, you come into the NBA. You've had this crazy journey. You signed a two-way on draft night, and then you worked you worked your way up to start with Portland in the bubble, and then you start went back in the G. What's that mindset like in terms of getting back into the NBA? Because I think a lot of these guys who fall out of the NBA is like, oh, I'm gonna go overseas or. I'm gonna try the G League for a half a season and then go. Like, what was what was that mindset like? Falling out of the league and then ultimately fighting your way back, and now you're on a guaranteed contract with the Lakers and, and being in rotation again. Man, there was a, a lot that led up to that. Like, even when I left New Orleans, like that year it was rough because I knew they liked me, and like I was when I left Portland, I already had like a like I ended up my last game of Portland. I had a partial tear of my quad tendon. Wow. So like. So, like, I'm going in the free agency and my knees messed up, bro. You know, so I'm nervous yeah. this whole time. I'm trying to get right. And, um, you know, they they kind of – I know they're kind of not going to take me back because of the knee as well and some other uh, – they're going to have, like, the draft and it would have cost more to keep me. So, all right, cool. So, now I'm going, now I'm in the market and I signed a two-year deal with um, New Orleans. And, like, you know, I'm super happy about that. You know what I'm saying? That's it felt like the first time I was really actually wanted somewhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so I got that deal, and that that was like draft day for me, you know. So I got there, um, and my knee spikes up again during training camp. So um, I kind of fall out of rotation, not fall out of rotation. I don't really get a chance to get in rotation early. Yeah. So by the time I came back, you know, they don't really know who I am, what type of player I am. I only had a short stint in Portland, and the rotation's already set. So I didn't really get much opportunity there. And so, like, towards the end of the year, when I did get my opportunity, I started hooping and I was getting comfortable and it's like, yeah, I could play. And, you know, that feeling, it felt good. And I, I showed the, a lot of people in the league that I could play as well. So, like, next year is coming by. Um, the summer goes by. I'm, I'm in New Orleans most of the summer. I'm working out. Woo -woo. And then, you know, the draft comes. They draft um, two rookies, Herb Jones and uh, Trey Murphy. And they're good players. Yeah. And we already had 15 p contracts. So that made it 16. And mine was um, not guaranteed. So I was the only one in a non-guaranteed contract, and we had 15 people on contract. And I already knew this early on, so I'm just like, okay. I kind of wanted to get released, but um, anyway, like, it 
I kind of did, but I kind of didn't. I didn't really know how to feel, you know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. I just kept doing my thing. I kept working out. And then, like, the last day, uh, I mean, I knew New Orleans liked me a lot, so they let me go. And then um, there was no time to really get picked up by another team, so I knew I had to go to the G League. And that's when it was hitting me, like, all right, I was, it wasn't a time for me to go overseas and do none of that. That wasn't on my mind. I was just like, okay, I know I belong in the NBA. I've shown I played. I've shown I belong in the NBA. Like I believe, I really know I'm an NBA player. You know, so I'm like I'm gonna go down here, and I'm gonna do what I know I can do because I've already had success in the G League prior to that. So yeah. I've already had success down. I know what it takes. So like I just locked in right there, and I really had to have tunnel vision. And being like Milwaukee, they treated me good. Like you know, we had a good living condition up in Oshkosh, and uh, you know the the GMs and the coaches like. They were top class, and I really appreciate everything that was going on in Wisconsin. So it really got me to be in a good space mentally and physically, where it's like, okay, I'm on the team. I'm a big part of this team. And uh, we had, they brought good players around me. So, like, we're a winning team as well. So I can play winning basketball. I don't have to play no hero ball. I can be who I am, and they'll still show, you know, the things that I have that are part of my greatness. So, you know, I played really well, and then, it was a COVID year, so that also ended up being a blessing for me. So I got my first call up from Brooklyn, and you know I was kind of sick. I didn't really get a chance to play because because uh, we just had too many people sick, so they kept canceling the games. But wow. that just made me yeah, that just made me hungrier though. So like I appreciated it. Like I got to play pickup with Kyrie, KD, and all them. You know, like those that stuff. That was like a moment on my way up. So it was like that was dope. You know what I mean? And James Harden too. We were all playing pickup one day. And this is like like the last two days of my contract, and I was playing good too, you know. So I'm like, yeah, that was a that was a good day for me. So I went back to the G, and now I'm just hungry. Like, damn, I gotta get back up. I start balling again, and then boom, the Clippers call me. So I go up to the Clippers, and um, I'm just ready to hoop. You know what I'm saying? As soon as I go to the Clippers, I left. Um, oh, I, I lied. I didn't go back to the G League. Right after Brooklyn, I went straight from Brooklyn. I flew to Toronto to meet the Clippers. <laughs> I signed my 10 day with them. Then we came and played Brooklyn like a few days later. Wow. And I played that game. I had seven points. I remember I hit a three and I was I was getting right. And I'm like, yeah, I'm in motion right now. You know what I'm saying? So like COVID kind of helped me get the opportunity because people were out. So when I got called up, I wasn't just up. I was up and playing. So I was able to show what I could do. So when the people came back with the Clippers, uh, they still were able to sign me to another 10 day. So shout out to, to Lawrence Frank and the Clippers. So they signed me to another 10 day, even though they didn't really have to, but they did. And that that showed that um they actually they had some value in me. So yeah. Yeah. like the stay ready runs and all that, I'm doing my thing. At the end, like they couldn't sign me back again. So I went on about my way. I went back to the G League. But the Clippers actually put in a good word to the Lakers for me. Like they kind of like, people they ask, you know, people everyone in the NBA they ask. Like they talk, talk. They talk. talk. Yeah. yeah, they're gonna talk. So they're gonna talk to the Clippers, they're gonna talk up to the Nets. They gonna talk to the herd, and everybody really all had like good things to say about me. And even that another thing about New Orleans, after I left the Clippers, New Orleans called me back to another ten day. So that ten day right there, it showed that you know they didn't let me out because they thought I was trash or any other reason, or like they didn't have a play. They just couldn't keep me. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So and they didn't really have to sign me to the ten day either. They already had their players. You know what I'm saying? So boom, they gave me the money on the ten day. <laughs> and then I went back to to the G League, and now when I'm really trying to get back up to the NBA, you know what I'm saying? I got these four ten days. They're like, "Oh, you doing good?" But uh, I need to get a permanent deal. You know what I'm saying? So the Bucks had an open roster spot. I'm working out with them, 
Rajon, me, Rajon Tucker, and um, because Rajon Tucker was my teammate with the herd. We was yeah. going against uh, Kyle Loquin and Tyreek Evans, and uh, we're doing our thing in the in the, the workout in front of them. Mind you, I'm hitting everything, I'm dunking everything. Me and Rajon, we're killing. You feel me? So yeah. I'm thinking I'm about to get this last roster spot, but the same day I'm I go to the locker room after I get the call from um I get a call from from the Lakers. And then they're trying to assign me to a two way, but I'm like, oh, but we trying to, but their Bucks about to give me a roster spot. I think like. What, what are we going to see? So we're trying to tell them to – they're like, nah, tell them to wait. And then the, they kind of told me that, like, we got the two-way for you and uh, there's opportunity for you to play right away as well. Yeah. So I was like, okay. So I definitely took that deal, packed my stuff, and immediately went to L.A. <laughs> and then that's wow. when I got to L.A. <laughs> that's, that's crazy, man. That's crazy. I mean, it just shows you, like, that everyone's journey is different. And, and that year kind of shaped you into the player that you are today and – and obviously, this opportunity you, you you've taken it and ran with it, man. But one last question for you, man. Obviously, this season's been up and down. We're kind of in the situation now where we have a good team. I think we can make a run. What would be a success in your eyes for you individually and for the team for this season? What you mean a success? I can't tell you what my my the lowest part, man. We trying to win a championship. Like that's that's what's on my mind right now. I haven't man. been thinking of anything less. But wherever we fall is where we may fall. I mean, I'll be always be. Rage to accept the reality, but at this time, I'm taking every day, one day, one game at a time. Like, you know, the eyes on the prize, bro. <laughs> I can't put a nah, cap on sure. that, bro. <laughs> nah, for sure, man. I I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Well, Wenyan, I appreciate you coming on the show, man. It's been a pleasure, obviously, yeah. from from your journey and obviously watching you this year. It's been it's been an honor being your teammate, being a, a fellow New Englander on the team. You really looked after me, so man, I I appreciate it, man. That's love, bro. You know, I appreciate you having me on the show, man. I told you I was going to come on the show. I came on yep, the show. Yeah, 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 you yeah. did. <laughs> you, you said you weren't a podcast guy at first, but I appreciate, I appreciate you. It's my first uh... podcast, yeah. By the way, it's my first podcast. I haven't done a podcast. I've got a ton of requests, but this is the one I accepted, my bro. <laughs> man, I appreciate it, man. Well, uh, Wendy, I appreciate you coming on again, man, and uh, catch, you, catch you tomorrow, man. <laughs> All right, I'll see you in a few hours, my brother. Right, yes, sir. Peace. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's up, everybody? Thank you guys for tuning in. We really hope you enjoyed this week's show. To find out who will be joining us next week, make sure you're following us on all social media platforms, at Swider Show on Instagram, at Swider Show on Twitter, and at Swider Show on TikTok. We also recently developed our very own YouTube page, www.youtube.com slash at Swider Show, and subscribe. You can send in a mailbag question to be featured on the show, Show at gmail.com and of course if you haven't already make sure to turn on those notifications so you never miss an episode week to week cole swider show with patty casey is presented by blue wire podcast and our executive producer is adam lewis swider show is created by cole swider patty casey and producer adam lewis all rights reserved thank you guys we'll see you next week